Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I want to continue this morning in the series that we started last week titled Made New. You can turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. By the way, that was Frankie up at the Keys. Frankie Lancaster. Hallelujah. He's going to be on the keyboard next week too. And I'm not. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Praise God. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Listen. Amen. Um, no, we, we're actually, we're going to be joined by a lot of people next week on our praise and worship team. Y- y'all may want to bring some earplugs. We have some drums in here next week. It's going to be a lot of fun for Pastor Ron. We've got some, some of our friends from the community that are going to be joining us to round out the worship team. Uh, one thing I love about Pastor Ron, he is a musician, and he plays guitar, he plays bass, he plays drums, he plays a bunch of things. And he... He's a rock and roll musician, so he loves loud music. And, um, and so I, I told him, I said, we got a whole band lined up for you, Pastor. I talked to him this week, and I said, we got a whole band line for it, lined up for you, and so he's excited. So you'll see Frankie in here next week on the keys, and then you'll see him and others uh, begin to join the worship team. We've got some more people coming on board, which I'm real excited about. Amen? Because I don't have to do it no more. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, when you, when you plant a church, you do everything for a while. And then over time, God sends people your way, and, and then you don't have to do everything so much. And so I'm living in the joy of that moment. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 17. We started this series last week, and we just got to preaching. And maybe that's going to happen again today. We'll see. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll read the verse and then, or the passage, and then we'll make our confession of faith, and then y'all lean in and press in with me, and let's get everything God has for us today. How many of you want everything that God has for you today? Amen. You know, it's okay to be greedy spiritually. The Bible says, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. So it's okay to be hungry and ravenous for the things of God. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, we're going to read down through verse 21, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Ay, 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 ay. To quote, uh, y'all ever watch Luke? I love Lucy. Yeah, back in back in Nick at Night when you're young, hallelujah. Um, do y'all, y'all remember Ricky? And one of his favorite things to say 
two things he used to say all the time. Lucy, you got some explaining to do. And then he would also say, ay, 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 ay. When I get done reading verse 21, I pull out a Ricky and I go, ay, 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 ay. Because have you ever thought of the potency of that statement that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him? That's incredible because you understand that sin is something that God in his holiness, remember we just said that God is perfect and good and he's morally just. God in his perfect holiness and sin can't mix. They can't coincide. So God detests sin. God hates sin. And, and, and verse 21 tells us that Jesus didn't just take on our sin when he went to the cross. Jesus actually became our sin. It's right there. He made him who knew no sin to what? To be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, so God, in his wisdom, allowed Jesus to become the thing that he hates. That's why Jesus hung on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? What a moment that must have been. The Son and the Father who have existed in eternity now for the first time getting separated. No wonder it was so heavy on Jesus. He said, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Because in that moment, Jesus was becoming the sin of the world. And he was going to go into hell for the next three days and pay the penalty for all of humanity's sin. Why? So that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Not so that you could become a whitewashed, cleaned up sinner. Right? Remember what we talked about last week? You have a new, you have a new identity. You have a new nature. That old nature that you couldn't do anything with, that old sin man, that old sin woman that you couldn't conquer is gone. And all things have become new. You got a new nature. We're going to talk about your new nature this morning. Is that okay? Let's make our confession of faith before we go any farther because I'll forget to do it if we don't do it now. Let's read it off the screen and believe it. I love this tradition at our church here. Let's, let's read it out loud. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. Today we're going to focus on our identity in Christ in order to do that, we ask the following question, what is our identity as believers? What is our identity? You know, in this world, I believe that people struggle needlessly, unnecessarily, because they don't know who they are. Have you ever gone through a season of life where you didn't know who you were? Yeah? It's like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm called to do. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know why God even loves me. Why in the world did God put me here? I don't know who I am. Have you ever tried to get your identity from something or someone else? Yeah? Have you ever tried to get your identity from the group that you were in? Or the team that you were on? Or the circle of friends that you had? Have you ever drawn your identity from your parents, 
from your family heritage, from your last name? Have you ever hung your hat and said, oh, brother, bless God, I'm a Thurman, you know? Well, you know, I'm a Thurman. Yeah, I'm having a crap day, but you know what? I'm a Thurman. Have you ever tried to, have you ever lived that way where, where everything about your identity was tied into your family's history? Or, or what if you didn't have a great family history and you go, oh man, I'm having a crap day. Oh man, I'm a Thurman. <laughs> My day just got worse. Oh. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever identified, have you ever built your identity based on how much money you have in the bank or what kind of car you drive or the neighborhood that you live in or the color of your skin or, uh, you know, your status in society? Have you ever drawn your identity from anything material or natural around you? Of course we have. It's human nature. It's what we do. But here's the problem with identifying with something that is natural. Here's the problem. Here's the issue. Natural things are either broken from the start or they fall apart at some point, right? We, you see, we were handed down. I talked about this a little bit last week. We were handed down a nature from our father, Adam, and our mother, Eve. I mean, you got to go all the way back to the beginning, right? We were handed down a nature of brokenness, of, of enmity with God. Do you remember the word enmity that we used last week? It means to be opposed to God. You were born into this world already on the wrong team. Right? You were born a bad guy. Tell your neighbor, you were born a bad guy. Okay? You were born on the wrong side. Every one of us, doesn't matter what our national heritage is, doesn't matter what our background is, doesn't matter what our family name is, doesn't matter where we were born in the world, doesn't matter, none of that matters. We were born in sin, so you were born broken. You were born broken. The Bible says really clearly in the book of Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us was born justly, right? Or I should say, not one of us was born justified. Everybody needs a Jesus. Amen? Everybody needs a Jesus, man. Everybody needs a Savior. Everybody needs the righteousness of God. And apart from him, we don't have it. So what is our identity as believers? Our identity cannot be found merely in our last name or in our heritage or in the, the town or the city that we grew up in. You know, I'm from New York, and I love to remind people of that, especially around here. People hate it. <laughs> Where are you from? <laughs> I'm from New York, man. I'm a New Yorker. Yeah, forget about it over here. You know? Oh, <laughs> I love to tell people I'm from New York. But you know what? At the end of the day, that doesn't matter. I love to tell people that I'm Italian from New York. But you know what? I love, I love Italian things. I love Italian culture. I eat Italian food. I listen to Italian music. I love the language. I love the, the country. I love everything. Anything and everything Italy, love it. Do you know what? At the end of the day, that doesn't get me any closer to Jesus. Right. It doesn't. Why am I talking about this? Because each and every one of us at some point in our life has hung our identity hat on one of these pegs. 
our status, our background, our last name, our culture, our country, our city. Man, I'm from New York. Forget about it over here. You know what I mean? Come on. You can't mess with me. I'm from New York. Not going to get you any closer to heaven. Right? Or man, by God, I'm from from Western North Carolina. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, come on. I'm from these hills right here, son. Not going to get you any closer to Jesus. And listen, I'm all about us being proud of where we're from, but it doesn't do a thing for our identity. It doesn't make us any bit less sinful before a perfect God. So my question is, what is our identity as believers? Our identity is comprised, if you're taking notes, you may want to write this. Our identity is comprised of two things, our nature and our name. Spiritually, not, not your name, Claire, Bob, John, not that name, but the name that God calls you, your, your, your new family last name when you're in the kingdom. Your name, or excuse me, your identity is comprised of two things, your nature and your name. Our nature is that which is born in us. Very important. Our nature is that which is born in us, and our name is that which is given to us. Or you could say it this way. Our nature is what was born in us, and our name is what we were born into. Does that make sense? You see, when you got saved, you switched families and you got a new last name. Amen. When, when, when you got saved, God doesn't call you by what he used to call you. He calls you by something new. Amen. When you got saved, your nature and your proclivity to sin was crucified with Christ. And now you have a new nature that wants to do new things. Remember we talked about that last week. I, told, I used Claire as an example and, and, and the sin that she couldn't get rid of. I got rid of it for her as God and then I gave her a brand new spirit on the inside. I gave her a brand new person. I made her a new person on the inside. And now she has a new nature and, and she doesn't want to do the old sin stuff anymore. She wants to do righteousness now. So let me ask you a question. If our identities are not, as believers, if our identities are not subject to, nor are they derived from natural surroundings, job, money, status, heritage, location, personality, all of these things, where do our identities come from? If they're not relative to all these different external things, they're relative to the new nature that God gave us and to the new name that he gave us. Let's look at these two things for just a moment. Look at nature and then we'll look at name. Y'all doing okay this morning? When we say that we have a new nature, what do we mean? We mean that the innate thing that we're born with now reflects God instead of reflecting Adam. All right? You see, when you were born in sin, sin was your master. It reigned over you. It controlled you. If you study Galatians or if you study Ephesians, you'll find out that sin ruled you and it dominated you before you knew Jesus. 
You didn't have a choice but to sin. You were a slave to sin, the scripture says. You're a slave to sin. But now when you get saved, that nature, that thing, that proclivity towards sin that you were born with is done away with. And now you have a proclivity towards righteousness. In other words, from the moment I get saved, my heart tells me I don't want to sin anymore. Right? My heart tells me I want to do the right thing now. That's why when you do sin as a believer, it feels icky. Did y'all ever do something you know you shouldn't do and feel icky on the inside? Yeah. Amen. Our nature has been created. So here's the big question when we talk about our nature. Are we sinners? We got a no. There was one no in the crowd. Are we sinners? No. We got some good consensus here. Are we sinners? Can we be sinners and saved at the same time? No. No, the answer is no. Because my nature has been exchanged for a new one. So I'm no longer a sinner anymore. Hallelujah. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. So what happens when you sin? Oh no, what happened? I sinned. I did something and now my insides feel icky. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 that we have an advocate with the Father. That when we sin, we go back to the Father. We say, Lord, I messed up. I, I went against what, your heart, what my heart told me to do. I went against the new nature that you put in me. See, because before you got saved, you used to sin and it felt good. Right? You used to sin and you were like, hey, this is great. This is normal life. You didn't know any better. You didn't know anything else. But now that we're in Christ, we have this brand new nature, and my nature on the inside won't let me do the things that I used to do without giving me some feedback. Come on. Won't let me do what I used to do without giving me some Holy Spirit feedback. You get ready to go do something you used to do, and the Holy Ghost like, eh, eh. It's like I do with my dog when he's getting ready to go and dig into a trash can. Hey, oh, hey, eh, 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 eh. That's what you'll hear at my house. What's Pastor Josh doing? You having, you know, having, having a back spasm? No, he's trying to get the dog to not dig into the trash can. That's what the Holy Ghost does on your insides. When you're getting ready to engage in sin, the Holy Ghost is like, it's the truth. Thank you, Christy. It's the truth. It is the truth. It is. It's a red flag. It's a hey. Danger, Will Robinson. Stop. Right? Why? Because he loves you. Because the Holy Spirit loves you, and he put a new nature inside of you that's no longer compatible with the sins that were handed down to you from Adam. Your new nature is not compatible with your old nature anymore. That's why when you encounter sin, it hurts, it feels weird, it's uncomfortable. You realize, I've transgressed the living God. I've got to repent. i got to get back to God and repent as fast as I can. Now, what a lot of people do because shame runs their life, can I be honest with you for a second? What a lot of people do because they have shame is they sin and instead of going right back to God as fast as they can, they try to run the other way. Hello. Try to act like nothing happened. God, what are you talking about? Sin? 
Not me. No. No, no, Cain, I haven't seen my brother Abel in a while. <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about, Lord. <laughs> no, I saw him yesterday. He, was, he said he was going to the store. I don't know. <laughs> I'm in a silly mood this morning, y'all. No, we, instead of coming face to face with what we've done, we try to run from the presence of the Lord, but the reality is God wants us to run to his presence when we make a mistake. We have an advocate with the Father. We have an open door into his presence all the time. So when you sin, don't run from him, run to him. Amen. So this new nature is the natural, the new normal, the new natural condition of your heart. Amen. When you get saved, that new nature that wants to do right before God is the new normal on the inside. Amen. I want to say this because I think this, is, this gets us tied up sometimes. We think that our actions and our nature are synonymous as believers, and they are not. Amen. How many of you know a sinner that doesn't know Jesus is still a sinner even when they're not sinning, right? And a Christian who does know Jesus is still a Christian even when they are sinning. Do you see the difference? It's a fundamental difference called the nature of God on the inside of us. And here's the best part about it. Are you ready? When you get saved, you don't ever have to sin again. Ever. You don't. You don't ever have to do it again. Will you? Probably. Do you have to? Must you? No. That is a massive, massive point. Do you know why? That is the whole point of the gospel is that you don't have to be who you used to be. Yeah. Oh, you have moments where you slide back into who you used to be. Everybody does. But you don't have to. Sin's not your master anymore. Paul says, listen to this. Paul says in the book of Romans, sin shall not reign, or I should say it this way. I, I've got to quote it right. Sin shall no longer reign in your mortal bodies. Most people... Read that as a commandment rather than a promise. Selah. Think about that for a second. Sin shall, not, shall no longer reign in your mortal bodies. Most people read that verse and they read it as a command, not as a promise. They read it like this. Sin shall no longer reign in your mortal body, young man. Instead of reading it like this. Guess what? Sin shall no longer reign in your mortal body guess what? Guess what? We got good news. You don't have to sin anymore. Because here's the deal. Look at the words. Look at the language. Sin shall no longer reign in your mortal body. What does it mean to reign? To be the boss. Y'all remember Malcolm in the middle? You're not the boss of me. Yeah? A couple of you. So, listen, 
What, what does it mean to reign? It means to be in control, to be in charge, to be the authority, to be established. Before you got saved, sin was in charge. Sin was in authority. Sin was in command of you and of everything that you did. And now that Jesus has redeemed you, now that you've come into the family of God, sin shall no longer reign in your mortal body. You don't have to do what your flesh is telling you you want to do. You don't have to do the thing that somebody is trying to entice you into. You don't have to cave under the pressure because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Can I break that down visually for you for a second? I need three volunteers really fast. Okay, all the kids have raised their hand. You and you. Give me one more child. We're just going to do this. Yeah, Josh, come on. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, that works. All right, since he's the tallest, he's going to be the flesh. All right, here we go. No, actually, you're going to be the spirit, okay? Spirit, turn this way. You're going to be the soul. Come here, sweetie. You're going to be the spirit. You are so sensitive. All right, everybody put your hands on the person in front of you. There you go. Good job. This is, this is a visual picture of what you look like on the, uh, of your whole life, okay? Sp- spirit, soul, body. Spirit, soul, body. You got this? When you get saved, what part of you immediately gets saved? Spirit. Where is the new nature that God gave you? Spirit, okay? We still got these two to deal with, right? Sin used to reign in the whole thing. But once we got saved, sin no longer reigns in this guy anymore. Sin's no longer the boss of this guy anymore. These two have developed some habits and some modes of thinking, okay? But this guy is now in charge, okay? Now, I'm going to move all this stuff way out of the way. I'm going to play the part of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, imagine that everything's working the way that it's supposed to. Well, actually, let's, let's, let's do this first because of the way they're facing. Imagine that things are not working the way they're supposed to. I'm going to, for just a second, I'm going to play the part of temptation. I'm going to play the part of the devil. I want you to follow me, okay? What happens with these other two? They follow, right? They follow along. Let's go this way. So here I am. I'm temptation. I'm the enemy. I'm sin. I'm sin, okay? And I'm leading this person, this sweet person who loves Jesus. They love Jesus. They got saved. They're a new creation in Christ. But I'm just leading them around, right? I'm sin. Boo. Right? This is what it looks like, okay? Here's what it looks like. I want to make this as practical as I can and put it, like John Maxwell says, put the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can get them, okay? I want to make this as easy to understand as possible. This is a visual idea of what it looks like when sin is reigning in your mortal body. Before you know Jesus. This is just, it feels good to the whole man to just be led around by the enemy, to be led around by sin. But now something happens. This guy gets saved And all of a sudden, he doesn't want to do what he used to do. His spirit is now righteous. This person's spirit's righteous towards God. And maybe the mind's still got some things that need to change, and the flesh has still got some habits. And so what happens? I want to to lead them now. And what happens? There's distance between, there's a disconnect between the heart and the head and the body. You see that? No wonder it hurts when you sin. You're pulling yourself apart. You're pulling yourself apart. Right? Now come back up. Now come back up. Now I'm going to play the part of the Holy Spirit. Spin around. 
Now, now, now what happens when, when instead of desiring to sin, this guy desires to, you know, to do the right thing, and I come and I talk to him and I say, hey, let's go this way. Why don't you follow where I lead? Oh, but I can't see. I'm going backwards. I can't see the direction I'm going. You don't have to. You get to trust me. You get to trust me. You get to trust me. Guess who's in charge? The Holy Ghost. Guess who else is in charge? The spirit on the inside. Guess who's not in charge? The mind and the flesh. This is what it looks like to follow God. I may not be able to see exactly where he's taken me. I may not be able to see exactly what he wants me to do, but I can trust him because he's leading me in the, right, in the way that I should go. So now what happens if temptation comes and starts to pull and, you, and the mind and the heart get split up? The flesh decides to go after it. There's that disconnect again. Ouch. Oh, I did something I shouldn't do. My spirit's suffering now on the inside. My flesh and my mind may feel enticed. It may feel good to sin for a moment, but I'm doing damage to my insides. Sin doesn't have to reign in your mortal bodies anymore. It's a promise. Why? Because this guy, the man of the heart, the spirit, the one that's got a new nature from Christ Jesus, the one that's a new creation in Christ, he gets to call the shots. Amen? Now, back up for a second, I'll say one more thing and then y'all can sit down again. When everything's working the way that it's supposed to, and I'm the Holy Spirit and I'm leading them around like I was, the most important thing becomes this guy right in the middle, the mind. This is the part that gets retrained. But, but, but I want to make this very clear point for just a second. When you get saved, you have a new nature. You don't have two natures. This is a thought, and I say this on purpose. This is a thought that a lot of people have, that I have a dual nature. They call it the duality of nature, that I have a nature that wants to serve God and a nature that wants to do something else. No, it's impossible for you as a human being to have two natures. The only person that had two natures was Jesus himself. He was 100% God and 100% man. It's called the incarnation of Christ. I told you there's going to be a lot of big words in this series. The incarnation of Christ. He was 100% God and 100% man. You and I are not. We have one nature at a time. So what happens is we need to learn as Christians how to develop our mind and develop our flesh to follow after the new nature that God has put on the inside of us. Does that make sense? Is that clear as mud? No? It's, it's good? Okay. All right. Give these guys a hand. They did a great job. I hope this is helpful to you this morning. Amen. Amen. A sinner is still a sinner even when he's not actively sinning, and a Christian is a Christian even when he actively is. So where does this leave us? Because sin is still a destructive force. We don't want to act like sin's not a big deal. Because you saw it. What happens when the flesh and the mind go the way of sin? They do damage on the inside. There's a disconnect between what my heart says is right and what my body wants to do. Or my mind wants to do. Have you ever sat and justified a sin? Yeah? Amen. You sit there, and the Holy Ghost is like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And you're like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> right? Anybody besides me, you've been there. You're like, yeah, I'm going to do it. 
And then once you decide that you're going to do it, then you start to say, it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, it's only my taxes. Why do I have to pay those anyway? <sighs> you know? It's, uh, what, if, what if instead of trying to justify something, what if you reframed the question? What if instead of saying it's only such and such and such, what if you said it this way instead? It's only my heart. It's only my connection to God. It's only everything Jesus did for me on the cross that I'm laying aside. I think it might reframe the question for us a little bit. So sin is still a destructive force, still seeks to distort and pervert our lives. But the point that we're trying to drive at is that we are Christians, we are saints who are capable of sinning, not sinners who are believing. Amen. We are Christians who can sin, not sinners who believe. And the reason that that's such a big deal is because a lot of people, maybe you in this room, maybe people you know, grew up with the idea that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And, and how many times have you heard that statement before? And, and really wonderful, well-intentioned, Jesus-loving people have said that many times about themselves or by somebody else. But the problem is, fundamentally, it's not true in the Bible. You can't be a sinner saved by grace. Either you're a sinner or you're saved by grace. There is no in-between. And the reason that is so important, the reason that's such an important distinction to make is because if you try to live as though there is an in-between, you'll always fail. If you try to live as though, I know Jesus did all this good stuff for me, but I'm holding on to this old nature of a sinner. I'm identifying with the fact that I'm a sinner. You are placing all your emphasis on the sin and not all your emphasis on the fact that you've been made righteous. And let me tell you, 99999999999 times out of 10, you will fall into the side of being a sinner. Because what you magnify and what you focus on is what you move towards. So if you focus on the fact that, oh, I'm just a sinner, I'm just a sinner, brother, what are you going to do? You're going to sin. Because you've been telling everybody, including yourself, that that's what you are. That's, that's what you are and that's what you do. What if you've reframed it? What if you flipped it on its head and you said, man, because of the blood of Jesus, I'm righteous. What if you got up every morning and you looked at yourself in the mirror and you said, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus today. Oh yeah, sin's going to try to come and pull me off, off track. Sin's going to try to come and, and get my attention. Sin's going to try to, it, sin's going to be there, but you know what? I'm not a sinner anymore. I have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's my new identity. Wow. Let me close with this. It comes from Matthew 16. In fact, we read this scripture in our last series. Matthew chapter 16. Watch this. They're sitting around the campfire, or that's how I picture them, sitting around the campfire, Jesus and the 12, hanging out, being boys, being dudes. Jesus came into the region, verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? They say, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, 
Others say, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? That's a good question for us today. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? I'll let you just think about that all week. Who is Jesus to you? Simon Peter, verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Wow, what a profound answer. What does Jesus say back to Peter? Watch this transformation. This verse is a picture of what happens when you get saved. Are you ready? Blessed are you, Jesus answered, verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon son of Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, verse 18. And I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail. Wait a minute, Jesus, aren't you a little confused? In verse 17, you said, blessed are you, Simon. And now in verse 18, you said, I call you Peter. Jesus, aren't you a little confused about Peter's name? No, not confused about it at all. Jesus gave Peter a new identity. Jesus said to Peter, blessed are you. God revealed to you who I am, and now you get a new identity. I wish I, I wish I had a visual way of doing that mind blow emoji that you have on your phone. What happens when you hear the gospel preached and the Holy Spirit works on the inside of you and you believe, Jesus is Lord. I'm seeing this for the first time. Oh, Jesus is God. And you believe and you put your trust in him. What happens? You get a new identity. Peter started the conversation as Simon, son of Jonah. He ended the conversation having got a revelation from God of who Jesus was. And that revelation from God about who Jesus is caused Peter to have a brand new identity. Amazing. I call you Peter. Wonder what the conversation looked like for the rest of the evening. Peter nudging John. Did you hear that? Don't call me Simon, bro. Don't do it. Don't call me Simon. I know you feel like it. I'm not, I'm not who I used to be. I'm not the old man. Jesus told me I'm somebody new. Come on. Jesus gave me a new identity. He gave me a new name. He gave me a new assignment. He gave me a new destiny. He gave me a new everything. The moment that I got a revelation from God of who Jesus was. See, that's the whole key to the whole verse. He asks him, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. Peter got this revelation from God. Peter goes, oh, I see it. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one that I'm supposed to put my trust in. You're the deliverer. You're the redeemer. You're the savior. You're the one that all of this is about. Peter got a revelation of who Jesus was, and it changed in a moment who Peter was. That's what happens when you get saved. That's what happens the instant that you get saved. You get a new nature on the inside, and you're not Simon anymore. You're Peter. Why is it so important that the Bible, how many of you know the Bible's very intentional and it doesn't just throw out words willy-nilly? Everything's written exactly the way that it is for a reason. The Holy Spirit's smart enough to have orchestrated how perfectly the Bible was written. 
So it's not a mistake that we see Simon's old name changed to Peter. Why is that so important? Because if you look at word meanings in the Bible, if you go study it out, you'll find that Simon, the name Simon, means a reed. A reed blown in the wind. Not a very stable plant. How many of you have ever been down to the beach and you've seen, you know, the sand dunes and those, those grasses that are just whipping and just whatever direction the wind wants them to go is the direction that they go, right? What does the name Peter mean? A rock. Rock. And look at, if you look at Peter's life before this moment, he was every bit of Simon. He was every bit of a reed tossed about in the wind. Before the Holy Ghost came on Peter, he was a weakling. He was a wimp. Y'all remember when Jesus got crucified and Peter, you know, got scared of a little girl and said, I don't know him. He denied him three times, you remember? That was the Simon coming out, right? But Jesus, man, when, 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 when God gave Peter a revelation of who Jesus was, his old nature was done away with and he was given a new name, and he was given a new assignment, he was given a new identity. I'm here to submit to you this morning that if you're in Christ, old things have passed away, all things have become new, you have a new identity. Oh, you may sin from time to time, and the more you walk with Jesus, the more you renew your mind. Remember, Claire was stuck in the middle. She's the mind. The more your mind gets renewed, the more you train your flesh. Paul said, I crucify my flesh. I buffet my body daily. I make it my slave. The more that you walk in the spirit, you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, you'll sin less for sure. And it'll be great. And the reality is you don't ever have to do it again. Amen. Amen. But from the moment you get saved, you get a new identity. Why is that important? It's important for this reason. When the enemy, when circumstances, when the world, when your friends, when your family try to remind you of who you are not, the scripture reminds you of who you are. You see, this world will try to tell you you're a loser. This world will try to tell you, you're, you're, man, your best days are behind you. You're a failure. This world will try to assign all kinds of labels to you and put your life in a category and mash you into what the world thinks you ought to be. You may, you may have come from a relationship where the relationship dictated to you all these ideas about who you are, and I'm here to tell you that's a lie. Because if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I don't care what the relationship said. I don't care what the past looks like. Because you're new. In Christ, a brand new original. Amen. And that new nature, it looks like Jesus. It sounds like Jesus. It behaves like Jesus. It wants to be like Jesus. Amen. Don't ever settle for the enemy's counterfeit over your identity. Guys, this is such a big, massively important topic. That's why I love preaching on it because, guys, if you, if you only knew who you were in Christ, 
If we only knew, and listen, it's going to take forever for us to actually figure it out, to get the whole picture. And the good thing is we got eternity. But even now, we can grow and we can understand more and more and more who we are in Christ Jesus. This is the message that will actually change your life. This is the message that will help you to be a better father, to be a better husband, to be a better wife, to be a better mom, to be a better employee, to grow in the gifts and talents, to grow in the area of goodness that God has placed in in your life. Don't let the world cheapen your identity. Don't let the world convince you that you're something, that you're anything less than a new creation in God, a new creation in Christ. Oh, devil, I know you I know you want to beat me up and tell me I'm a moron and tell me that I don't have any potential and tell me that I don't have any purpose. But that's a lie. That's a lie. Amen? Let's stand up to our feet. I hope you got something out of that this morning. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.